Well, hello. I'm just so glad to be able to make this video, and I'm sorry I can't be with you. I really miss being everybody. In fact, last year I wasn't there either. I forgot what happened, got COVID or something. But anyway, I thank God for Mike Stewart and the church there at Heritage having this meeting. I thank God for Isaac, my son, and other people who are helping me on this video. And so I want to get right down to the subject, and it's really on my heart a lot. I hope I don't get too emotional. I may. If I do, I don't apologize for it. I have a real desire to reach, especially the young people who've got your whole life ahead of you. I want you to make good choices. I know the devil wants you to make bad choices. So I hope you'll pay your very close attention to what I've got to say. And maybe even if you've got something to write on, you might at least take a few notes and write at least the scriptures down and maybe look at the scriptures later. But I've got an interesting topic. It's the laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I'll read you the scripture. Uh, citation is over in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. It sounds like it's kind of far off, but it's not far off at all. This is very real and very pertinent. And I hope I can make that plain. Here's our scripture. Lay not, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. According to the commentators, that's all kind of wealth, like uh, uh, moth and rust is clothes. They had changed it to clothes back in those days. And that rust right there is not the kind of rust that you think on metal. It's, it's kind of a rust that corrupts uh, stuff like grain. So their wealth consisted in stuff like gold and silver. And then they had uh, foodstuffs to store up like grain. Then they had their clothes. So really it's comprehensive here. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then a very wonderful verse, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So instead of getting real technical, this is a mindset. Laying up for yourself treasure upon heaven, in heaven is a mindset. It's a paradigm. I like that word paradigm. I looked it up. A paradigm is kind of a general mental model or framework. So it's a, it's a, it's a mental framework, a mindset. Um, this is a way of life. So what I'm saying today is I want you to take this very closely and pertinent. It's a way of life we're trying to develop. I don't have all the specific details about laying up treasures in heaven. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what that's talking about. It's something real about it, uh, but we don't know a lot of details. What I'm saying is that we believe the Word of God and fear God will take this seriously. It will definitely affect the way we live. We don't have to have all the specifics. Now, this is going to be very personal uh, for each one of us, each one of you, each one of us. Let me read you the scripture that shows that. So I hope you'll make this personal today. This won't be something just kind of out uh, uh, theoretical or esoteric. Here we hear the scripture that shows how personal this should be. Philippians 1.21 For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now think about that. I can't speak for you. You can't speak for me. I can't even speak for my own wife or my own children. I like to, but I can't do that. So you've got, you, you, uh, you got peers that you love. You've got friends you love. But ultimately, each of us has to make up our own mind how we're going to live. So Paul says, for to me, get that, for to me, to live is Christ. Boy, what a comprehensive statement. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a wonderful statement. So let's look at that again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is the theme of your life? Now, you're pretty young right now. A lot of you are. Some of you thought seriously about these things. Some of you have not. I remember when I was your age, I probably didn't think seriously enough about the future, about how I wanted my life to be planned out. I kind of took it on an ad hoc basis day by day. But, we, but I want to ask you, what's the theme of your life? 
Think about that for a minute. What are your goals? What do you really want? Uh, do you want wealth, prestige, or pleasure? What motivates you? And also, interestingly, what motivates most of the young people you know? Because something is motivating all of us. The Lord and His Word is pointing out one way of life. That's the one we're going to be talking about today. But you got to remember the world system. That's the whole world system now, our environment. And you're really in the devil, Satan, in your own flesh, your own fleshy nature, you're trying to allure you another way. There are two ways to live, laying up ourselves, treasures upon earth, and also laying up treasures in heaven. So, you listen, kids, and I say kid, I'm not talking down to you, I'm an 81-year-old man, so I can call you kids, I guess I want to. The, you only have one life to live. One precious life to live. How are you going to live it? One shot, that's all you got. Live it for the Lord. Let me tell you a little bit about my own life. I'm not going to talk about myself a lot. But I am a minister. That's different from some of you. Some of you won't be ministers, but these same principles apply. Uh, I never was really ambitious, but I did want to be a college professor. And I did teach at University of Memphis while I loved it. And so I got my master's degree, and I was going to get me a Ph.D., and God called me to preach. I'm not saying it's wrong to get a PhD, but it would have been wrong for me to do it at that time. Uh, I remember I was taking up a bunch of notes, and that's before computers, but that's hard work in the library. I had a stack of notes about a foot high <laughs> on the River War in Tennessee and Kentucky in 1862. And when God called me to preach, boy, I lost interest in that. What about the River War in Tennessee and Kentucky in 1862? Big deal. So anyway, uh, I just had to kind of gradually decide how I wanted to live. And so it's easy for me in a way since I'm called to preach, but you also got to decide how you want to live. It's not wrong to be ambitious, but it's wrong to be too ambitious. Uh, I think you ought to do the best you can. I'm glad you have good minds, good educations, good opportunities, but you can't make a God out of that. You got to put, you got to have priorities and the Lord's got to come first. So I thank God that I did, I was able to uh, give myself really to the Lord uh, more than to the things of the world. I'm going to tell you a tale of two lives. How about that? You know, you've heard of a tale of two cities. I'm going to tell you a tale of two lives. And one way, it's kind of fun to get old. Now, some way it's not. But it's kind of fun because you can look back on life and see a lot of things. So let me tell you a tale of two lives. William R. Gillespie and Annie Henson. Now, William R. Gillespie was a great teacher. I was his first class that he taught in college. He got a degree from Florida State University. He had a good-looking man. He had a modest man. He was a friendly man. He was not a Christian, sad to say. Uh, boy, he was a great teacher. I'm telling you, he taught the history of Mexico, the history of Peru, uh, history of Latin America. I took all of his courses. He was fluent in both Spanish and Portuguese. Man, he was a go-getter. He had a lot of ambition, good ambition. I'm going to write books. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, since I'm so old, I got a chance to watch his entire career. He started out on the ground running. Man, oh man, what a life. But you know how he wound up? He didn't have Jesus Christ. So all that kind of got old after a while. The new wore off. He finally died an alcoholic. His wife died and he just went into despair. So that's William R. Gillespie. Everything going for him, but he died in more or less despair. And Sister Annie Henson, we got to write a book about her someday. She was a dear, precious old saint living in a hole in wall, Tennessee. She was relatively uneducated. Uh, she, she was not really sophisticated, and uh, she didn't try to put on any kind of airs. I spent many a night at her home when she had an old 
on a highway up there in middle Tennessee. I've got the name of it now, the number of it, but she had an old tin roof shack. Didn't even have any indoor plumbing. Uh, when she, her husband died, she was so poor, it took her several years to pay off the uh, burial bill. Even though she had wealthy people in the church, they could have done it. That one old guy, old brother Johnny Stevens, he's dead now, I can talk about him. <laughs> old brother Johnny Stevens, he, uh, he had a gravel pit behind his house. So he'd sit on that porch and he would uh, watch the gravel trucks go by. And every time a gravel truck went by, he'd make a mark because that meant so much money in the bank. But he didn't turn loose and die. That gives it to Annie. Well, I'm preaching a whole lot of Tennessee one time. Sister Annie came through the handshake. She was just overcome with joy. Threw up her arm and said, take your money and give me Jesus. Well, let me tell you this. Sister Annie died happy. She did have cancer. She said, you know what? Sister Annie, you don't need to be going to church. You're hurting. She said, listen, I'm going to pop a pain pill and go to church. She died a happy woman. Everybody around her knew she was happy. Well, look at, look at the difference there. The tale of two lives. William R. Gillespie, everything going over him. He died in despair. He landed up his treasure upon earth. Sister Annie Henson, uh, not having a privileged life at all, but oh, she died a happy woman. Everybody around her was amazed at how she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a tale of two cities. Now, young people, you're going to be put to the test. We're all put to the test from time to time in our lives. God puts us to the test. We reach what I call crossroads in life. So I've done a lot of thinking about a hypothetical scene. I'm going to give you, I've done a lot of thinking about this. I already put my imagination into it. You can kind of maybe help me if you want to. But uh, this is a hypothetical situation. Now, this is something we're all going to be faced. And to kind of whip the appetite a little bit, I'm going to tell you about a real case, not hypothetical, after I tell you about the hypothetical situation. Or here's a hypothetical situation. You have graduated from a prestigious university. Looks like you got the whole world ahead of you. You can get a great job. Um, you've got an unlimited future. Now, you think about this, because this is real. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to have a good education. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to balance this out. You cannot put that first. Here we go now. You're offered a great job with a very promising career. This means a, a great salary. We all want a big salary. Uh, it means a beautiful home, man, a beautiful home in a really prestigious neighborhood. You're running it with fashionable social circles. And you know, that, that really influences us, uh, the people we run with. Sometimes people are tempted to even compromise because they want to have the friendship of people who they consider kind of the elite. You know, that even affects people on the Supreme Court. I'm sure that's why John Roberts does not vote right sometimes. I think he wants to be accepted by society. He wants to be accepted. He goes to a nice restaurant. People speak to him, don't look down on him. I'm sure it affects some of the decisions he makes. He's just a human being. So, you know, uh, you got exotic vacations. Oh, man, take a vacation down to different places. Got all kinds of expensive appliances and electronic devices, and there are more and more devices we can have all the time. Uh, you can go to expensive and fashionable restaurants. That's a lot of fun. You attend trendy and very expensive uh, entertainment and sports events. And uh, you got a great retirement program. Wow, that's, that's important. And you got expensive education for your children. You also may have a great car. We all want cars. More cars cost a fortune today, don't they? You got a great car, maybe even a state-of-the-art pickup truck for your old boys. One of those $60,000, $70,000 pickup trucks. That sounds good, doesn't it? That would anybody's appetite. But you have to sell your soul, in this particular, to an immoral, worldly, politically correct, woke culture. Now, kids, you're going to face that. This is real in our lifetime, and we've never had been before. Or you get this job, 
Now, see, when I graduated from the University of Memphis, uh, I'd offered a job at Prentice Hall uh, Book Company, a textbook company, and other books too. And so it'd, it'd be nice, travel expenses, man, big salary. But I knew I couldn't take the job because of what it entailed. You got to entertain people with liquor. You got to take them to nightclubs and stuff like that. So great job. I couldn't take it. David Machiavello, my dear departed brother-in-law, who's gone to the Lord now, he's a nurse, but he also finally got a job with some company selling medical appliances. Boy, I mean, it's a good job, too. But you had to sell your soul to the company to keep the job. Every time he had another child, they get mad at him because they said, you know, you need to be thinking about this company, not thinking about your family. And then they began to go to these uh, conventions with a lot of vulgarity going on. He just couldn't maintain his integrity and stay at that job. You're all going to face things like that. Now, let's look at another man. We've seen this man. Now, that, you got to admit, that's pretty enticing. It is to me. But man, I looked at a great big old house. And, man, a really great new car, man. And a big old pickup truck boy. And go on vacation. That, that's a really a temptation. There's another fellow, fellow here. Uh, he had to settle for a modest house in a modest neighborhood. He got to drive a used car. Get you there, but still used. Uh, they can only afford basic nutritious foods and can't eat out very often. And he's really shunned by the elite. Uh, it's kind of like you don't even, uh, well, I won't use a name, now I'm tempted to, but you know one of the famous politicians call people like you and I the deplorables. And uh, even our current president called us the expendables. That's how people think about people who just love the Lord and have basic values. But this man here, even though he had the old used car and lived in a modest neighborhood, he had a clean conscience before God he had peace in his soul. Now, folks, that's real. That is real stuff. I realize that's theoretical. That's real. So I want you to think about that. And the devil is whipping in your ear, saying, hey, 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 look at all this. It doesn't take much of a compromise. It's a little bitty compromise. You're, you're, you still love the Lord. It's almost like when Daniel, you know, uh, was faced by the prospect of praying. If he kept praying, he'd be cast into the dental lines. You know what Daniel could have done? Said, you know what? God knows my heart. Uh, he knows I still love him. So I'm not going to pray openly anymore. I'm still praying. He, he hears me. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to go ahead and shut the door. I shut the window here and pray. Not old Daniel, buddy. He said, no, sir. I'm going to open up that window. And I'm going to pray like I've always prayed. So that's what you got to do. You cannot make those small compromises. Now, I got something that thrills my soul to tell you about. This is an actual case. And some of y'all know this man. Brother Mike Seals uh, is a pastor, a PB pastor down at Good Hope, Prentice Church in Mississippi. I think it's Mendenhall, probably. So I interviewed him on the phone the other day. I knew the story, but I want him to fill it out. Now, Mike is a very capable man. He's a, he's a go-getter. In fact, he's a tough football player. He played for Southern Miss. He played a linebacker. They tell me he camped out all day in the backfield of the holding team. He's something else, man. He's still in good shape, still lifts weights and stuff like this. Oh, Mike was great in the trucking. He loved the trucking industry. He just loved it. He got four good jobs in the trucking industry. Went up to uh, minor executive positions. And man, he had perks. He had a company car, some of these places. He had a, a credit card, a company credit card, a big salary and all that. But he lost all four of those jobs. And not because he was uh, aggressive, not because he was pushy, not because he, not because he'd go around witnessing all the time. He just wouldn't compromise. Now here again, he was a preacher. That makes a little bit of difference, but still the same principle would apply to all of us. When he go to work on a job, he said, listen, I'm a minister. i got to have my Sundays off. And sometimes they'd even sign a statement and say, yeah, you got your Sundays off. Well, when push came to shove, 
They got to say, hey, that piece of paper doesn't mean a thing. You got to come to work today. Well, Mike just couldn't do it. They never did fire Mike. They couldn't find anything to fire him about. What they'd always do is find some way to a very subtle way to eliminate his job. Well, the last job he had in the trucking industry, he just loved it. He was there for seven years with Old Dominion Truck Lines. He said it's a great truck line. Man, he loved that place. But the problem was he had an atheist for a boss. And Mike had a Bible on his desk. He didn't go around and preach to people all the time. He had a Bible on his desk. And the boss hated that Bible. He said, I'm going to get rid of that book. I'm going to get rid of that book. But old Mike wouldn't take it off. So a month before this guy retired, he showed up at Mike's office with a smirk on his face. He had his assistant manager with him. The manager was crying because he loved Mike. He was fixing to happen. This old atheist said, your job had been eliminated. Can I help you move your stuff out? So Mike lost that job, had to go from an executive position to back to physical labor, loading trucks on a dock. Now, the, 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 by the way, uh, uh, for a footnote, guess what happened to that atheist? He dropped dead about four months after he retired. Well, Mike now is selling furniture on a strict commission basis with a Muscali Furniture Company there in Jackson, a great big furniture company. But I tell you what, you can just feel the peace and happiness of Mike's voice. Here's a man who really uh, put his mouth where his money was. Four jobs. He didn't try to lose those jobs. He loved those jobs. He wouldn't do anything, but he was not going to compromise. So I thank God for him. This is an actual case of old Mike Seal. I'll raise my hat is off that man. I love him so very much. If some of y'all know him, I ought to talk to him sometime and hear it out of the horse's mouth. Well, let's go to the scriptures now. Let's go to the scriptures. Hope you'll write these down. I hope you'll remember what I say, but if you don't remember too much of what I say, I hope you will remember the word of God. So my topic now is, what do you think about the future beyond this life will greatly affect the choices you make now? Let me say that again. What do you think about the future beyond this life? You, what do you think about it? Right now, what, what about the, what's the future hold beyond this life? What do you think about the future beyond this life going to greatly affect the choices you make now? Let's go to several choice scriptures, some of my very favorite scriptures. I'll try to read them kind of slowly. I want you to digest them and go over these again and again. First, we're going to read about the future. Then we're going to read about the effect had on our life even right now. Ready? Colossians chapter 3. We'll read uh, several verses here. If you then be risen with Christ, if you're born again, you are risen with Christ. You're actually sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in a legal way even right now. You all think about that. It's a great position. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Think about that. Have you done, do you do that very often? We usually seek the things that are below. That's what's on our mind almost all the time. And if that's all we think about, it gets us depressed. I'll give you an example in my own life. I don't look at television very much. When I got pretty sick and had to go to the hospital, they had a great big screen. I watched Fox News. Now, I like Fox because they're pretty conservative. But you know what? My soul dried up. It just dried up. I think we ought to know what's going on in the world, but not to a minute detail. So I had to get my, my head back in the Bible. And so that's what you got to do. Uh, if, if you then be ridden with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Get this now. Set your affection. That's pretty strong. Set your affection. You can do that. You've got to do that on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You are dead in a sense. You're still a sinner. You still have trouble with your fleshly nature, but you're not in the same position of a man who's not born again. You're dead to sin, really. 
you hate sin, you want to fight it, you cannot give yourself over completely to it. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Get this beautiful promise. This is real, folks. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Well, that's shouting around. Think about that sometimes when you get down. When Christ, and he's coming again, for our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Okay, what affects that of my life now? Let's look at, the, look at the next verse. Mortify, therefore, the therefore refer back to what we've been talking about. Mortify, therefore, and mortify means put to death. It's a strong word. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, uh, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, if I really do have a heavenly mindset, I'm going to work really hard on trying to keep my sinful nature under control. That's my motivation. Say, mortify, therefore. Well, we got the heavenly perspective, haven't we? We're laying up ourselves treasures in heaven. We have that heavenly mindset. And we got to be in the Bible to do that because we're surrounded by all kinds of other things every day. And if that's the only influence we have, we're going to make wrong decisions. Let's look at another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, and that's our bodies, and that's the truth. I'm older now, and I'll tell you what, uh, you'll find out as you get older, your outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man, thank God, and I can put the, that's my addition, thank God, is renewed day by day. I've even had the experience on my sick bed. My old body kind of wearing out, got this old bug bothering me, I got Nicaragua. And yet, man, sometimes I just get to rejoice in all the place. So thank God, even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now get this, for our light affliction, now that's light from God's standpoint, sometimes there are heavy afflictions as far as we're concerned. Our light affliction, we did it but for a moment. That moment's also from God's viewpoint. Sometimes when we're having trouble, maybe pain, looks like it'll last forever. For our light affliction, we did it but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now look at this. While we look not at the things that are seen, the things that are not seen, the things that are seen are temporal. They have an end. The things that are not seen are eternal. Isn't that glorious? My friends, the things that are not seen are more real than the things that are seen. If you're born again, you've got the gift of faith. You can see into that. You can be like Moses. The Bible says, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We need to have our eye of faith sharpened up, look beyond this world, and see those things which are, uh, which are durable. I hate to rush through these scriptures, but you can go back and read them. Let's go. But I, I want to give you a few. This is good spiritual ammunition. This will do you more good than anything I say. Look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Love not the world. We're in the world. We're not a bunch of old money grubs. We don't complain all the time. We're not going to fall in love with this world, though. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I wish I had time to elaborate on that, but I don't. You, do, you just elaborate yourself. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and not the Father but the world. And the world passeth away, but they that do the, the, the but, the, but uh, and the lust thereof, yeah. But he that doth the will of God abides forever. But folks, the world's gonna burn up someday. 
all the ambition men have, all the institutions they, they develop, uh, all the technology we have, all the money we lay up, it's going to vanish one of these days. It's going to burn up. But the things of the Lord endure forever. That's a scripture to get a hold of. That's a memory verse for this summer, isn't it? John 2, 15 through 17. Let's go to 1 John again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath thought upon us, we should be called the sons of God. That's amazing. We're children of God by adoption. That, that, we're children of God. It's easy to say that, isn't it? But what we'll believe that? He's my Father. I'm his son. Behold, what manner of love the Father have thought upon us, we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? Even now, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, we shall see him as he is. That's almost impossible to believe. But you know what effect that will have on us? I said how to have any mindset will affect us now. And every man that had this hope in him purified himself, even as he is pure. We're going to stay pure for God because we've got that heavenly hope. All right. Now, let me say this. this. I won't spend much time on this. This is what I really was going to talk about a lot, but I changed my mind. I want to say this, though. There's a real connection between this world and the world to come. I do not understand this fully. Nobody does. But when you say out left, you said the tre treasure in heaven, it remains that. I remember one time I had a friend named Charles Talley, a preacher friend. I said, Brother Talley, what did it mean? Left yourself treasure in heaven. He didn't mean what he says. Well, that got me. He's, he's right. There's something to that. I don't believe it works salvation. There's something pretty powerful about this. If we are Bible believers, we'll believe it. It'll affect the way we live. Let me give you two scriptures show you there's a connection, a real connection, between this world and the world to come. All right, Philippians 2, 16. Holding forth the word of life, Paul says, I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I am not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Something about... Uh, Paul's life, I mean, when Paul get to heaven, he can be glad the race he's run. I remember one time hearing V.F. Lowrance. He was a good old Baptist preacher from Arkansas. And this is a memory I've got. Down at Ozai's church in Georgia one time, he preached on that topic. He said, folks, I don't fully understand that. There's something real to it. And he's right about that. There's something real. We can't just brush that off. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, to show you a connection between this world and the world to come, like in between preacher and, and folk he's preaching to. We pastor need to take this for, for really seriously. First Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. We're going to know something when we get to heaven about what we've been doing here on earth. And you know, I love it when my people here serve God. I think I got real thrilled yesterday. One of the mamas told us about one of the young men who'd been memorizing scripture, memorized a lot in Romans. Didn't know about it, a real quiet kid. Boy, that thrilled my soul. When you people serve God and bear fruit, you can imagine how happy the pastor is. And brother friend, there'll be something in heaven that we'll know about that. That's what Paul's saying here. All right, I'm going to close with a few more scriptures. These are miscellaneous in a way. They're to the point about, remember our topic now, we're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 6 in a few verses. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And you know, contentment is hard, isn't it? One of the old Puritans wrote a book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. 
Kid, we live in an age of discontent. You, it bothers you, it bothers me. Let's work at that here. We need to be content with what God gives us. I've learned that on my sick bed. I've been pretty sick lately. I've learned more contentment than I used to have. And it's kind of a hard lesson to learn. We need to be content. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. Get this. We brought nothing into this world. We can carry nothing out. Even old Bill Gates won't carry anything out. Warren Buffett won't carry anything out. Rockefeller carried nothing out. Cornelius Vanderbilt carried nothing out. Job was right. Naked I came to this world. Naked I shall return. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And we got all kinds of food and raiment here, yet sometimes we're just content. But they that will be rich, they will be rich. That's their goal in life. Follow to temptation and a snare, to many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they err from the faith and pierce them through with many sorrows. I'm not going to call names, but I'm going to tell you about an actual case I know about. I used to pastor a church in a different state. And man, when I went there, we started a brand new church. God did it. Jesus and I moved up there in the 70s. Man, we had a wonderful time. People were on fire for God. And one of the main men up there, one of the pillars of the church, uh, had a really nice farm. Really nice farm. And so one Sunday afternoon, he took me out on that farm. We were out there, had eaten lunch, I think, sitting on the carport, looking at all that pretty place. He said, Brother Zach, God been good to me. He said, you know, when I moved down here, we had a great big old wheat crop on it. And it just so happened that that year, the price of wheat went up twice. So I had it like I had two crops. I paid this place off for two or three years. And now I'm just prospering. He said, I'm going to kind of go into semi-retirement. I'm going to start following you around and saying amen, and say, y'all do what Brother Zach said. That's, he was on fire. Well, I was happy. Guess what happened? The next month, he changed his mindset. He and his wife brought the fanciest house in that county. It was the old Waterfield house. The Waterfield used to be the governor. And my friends, they changed. They changed. They, they didn't love the things of the Lord very much anymore. They're not enthused about going to church. And sad to say, they died. Very sad. The love of money, the love of all evil, which while some coveted after, the heirs of the faith give themselves to many sorrows. Of course, the devil is always watching us, trying to put us in a snare. They started out right, but they didn't end up very well. So along that same line, the same First Timothy chapter 6, let's look at verse 17 in a few verses. Charge them rich in this world, and you may be rich someday. God may, may bless you to get rich. He will some of you, hopefully. Charge them rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, and the living God give us richly all things to enjoy. Go ahead and enjoy what God gives you. I don't say you just try to be poor. Enjoy what God gives you. Uh, but here's what you but he but here's what here's what he said to do, verse 18. That they do good. If you got money, you do good with it. To be willing to communicate, or ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That means giving to poor people and the Jesus Christ, the God of Christ. Uh, laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation to get the time to come that you may lay hold on eternal life. So God does bless you to get some money. Use it the right way. Don't blow it all on yourself. Don't spend it all on yourself. Go ahead and enjoy what God gives you. Make sure you're generous toward the house of God. I love the expression, rich towards God. Now, I'm not going to read this one, but I'm just going to tell you about it. I'm going to give you a verse in a minute, which you might remember in the Bible, in the book of Luke that a man who, this kind of a parable, had a very wealthy man. He said, you know what? Uh, I've got a good harvest this year. So I know what I'm going to do. Uh, I don't have room to put my crops in. They're so rich. 
I'm going to tear down my barns, build new barns. I'm going to bestow, bestow all my goods in there. And I'm going to sit back and say, soul, take your ease. You have many goods let up for many days. The Bible says that Lord took him that night and said, thou fool, this night I'm going to take your, your soul away from you. Then who shall these things be? And here's the punchline. Here's the punchline. It's Luke 12, 21. So is he that left up treasure for himself. It's not rich towards God. Folks, don't fall in that trap. Let's be rich towards God. Now I'm fit to close. I got a very important final word. Very important final word. I've told you a lot of things. I want to emphasize the Lord's trying to lead you one way. The devil in your flesh wants to lead you another way. I definitely make you want to make you make the right decision. I'm passionate about this. I'm not giving you an academic talk. My heart's in this. I'll save many of you young people from misspending your lives. You give your life to God Almighty. Put the things of the Lord first. But hear what I'm going to say. You will not make wise choices if you are not close to the Lord. Let me say that again. See, you're real busy, aren't you? You're real busy. We get so busy on our uh, phones and social devices and social media, we don't even have time to think about God sometimes. We have barely a time to even glance at our Bibles, let alone really read them and study them. I'm saying, though, you'll not make wise choices if you're not close to the Lord. So here's my remedy. Read and study the Bible constantly. Set a habit. You won't always want to do it. Your flesh does not want you to do it. Make a habit of doing that. Maintain fellowship with the Lord in prayer and obedient living. Be under the sound of the gospel. Don't lie out of church. You need to hear the gospel every time the door opens. Get that church, hear that gospel preach. And you uh, get advice from trusted and mature friends. Older people who've gone through life, get advice from them. And then also associate with strong Christian friends. My precious young people, mainly uh, you preacher can listen to this too if you want to. Ha, ha. <laughs> but I'm mainly talking to young people. Listen, you set your affection on things above. You let treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt where things don't break and steal. And here's the beautiful part. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So may God bless you. I love you. Hope you have a great conference up there. Maybe next year I can be with you. So take care and God bless.